Hello, hello, hello. Series 3 just keeps going. This is the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour. I am your host, Jason Rutledge. Special thanks to all of you who joined us last Sunday on our Instagram live stream to help celebrate the launch of Series 3 with Fritz the Cat. We're going to be streaming on Instagram Live every Sunday for at least the duration of this series, maybe beyond. So come join us to talk about the latest episode, uh, past episodes, your questions, comments, opinions. We're looking forward to hearing from you. That's on Instagram Live, Sundays at noon, Central Time US. Be there or be square. So for this episode, we're headed down under to talk about Australian exploitation movies through the lens of the great Brian Trenchard Smith. Really, we could have could have picked any of this guy's movies and had an excellent time watching them and talking about them, and we encourage you guys to watch as many of them as possible. It is well worth your time and energy. But this time we're talking about Dead End Drive-In. And with that, it is drive-in time, folks. Katie Jetpacks and Nathan are here to soak up all the apocalyptic popcorn and soda pop goodness. But first, that was a long intro, so in case you're just joining us, here's Krabs and Carmen to fill you in on what's up. What picture are we seeing? That's not what you came for, is it? Oh, cheeky bugger. Two adults. Two unemployed, thanks. Was that around the time that McDowell was like in every movie, like when he did Tank Girl and all that other stuff, or was that? No, no, this was like within the, this like within ten years. It was like I think it showed up on the. Um, the Family Channel, or the ABC Family, I guess is now. Mm. Is it the Holiday Heist one? No, it's ABC Family is now Freeform. That's okay. 2012. It used to be the Family Channel, then it was Fox Family, then it was ABC Family. Well, you know what it was way before that, in the beginning, and this is why they still show 700 Club, because it was the Christian oh. Broadcasting oh, Network. okay, CBN, that's oh, right. Oh man, 700 Club. I woke up to that many a that night. That was Pat Robertson's deal. And when he sold the channel, it was in the deal that they had to show 700 Club no matter what, oh, in perpetuity forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they still so show it? Freeform still has to show it. Isn't it syndicated, that's the show, or no? I don't know. I thought it was syndicated. Yeah. Like you could see yeah, it on they, local channels or something. Can you Even, syndicate that? Like, 40 years later, they're still required by this contract to continue showing 700 Club, whether they like it or not. You know, <laughs> when I think of the 700 Club, I think back to my old buddy, Michael Vensel. And in high school, we used to pull pranks on Michael quite a bit. And I signed him up for a trip to Israel, like, uh, information <laughs> from the 700 Club. So you'd get, like, a free video in the mail. And they fucking hounded him and his poor parents. <laughs> Are you interested in this trip to Israel? Are you going to go? That's so funny. <laughs> wow. And he and I'd get like a phone call, you know, like, um, did you put my address out there to? I was like, well, huh? What are you talking about? No. 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 700 Club? No. I don't watch What's that. What's that? I don't watch that business. So anyway, in the first half of the 1970s, Australia, a country with a population of only about 14 million, about the same as Texas, actually, decided it was going to build a movie industry of its very own. Through a seemingly endless reservoir of determination, talent, and incredibly generous tax credits, they unleashed on the world one unforgettable movie after another. Stay with me now. Wake and Fright, Alvin Purple, The Cars That Ate Paris, The Man from Hong Kong, Mad and Dog on. Morgan, Patrick, Long Weekend, Road Games, Mad Max, Turkey Shoot, BMX Bandits, and of course, 
coming in toward the end of this amazing 15-year run of production, Dead End Drive-In. Welcome back, everyone, to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, coming to you from Dallas, Texas. We made the killer shrews here once. <clears throat> and the giant Gila monster. Giant Gila monster, yes. Uh, part of Bonnie and Clyde was shot here. But still, nothing approaching the output that these guys had throughout the 70s and 1980s. True. I went to rewatch this, and I accidentally watched Mark Pirro's Death Row Game Show. And I was going to talk about the Dance oh, of the Seven Boners, but... <laughs> We could still work that in somewhere. You know okay. how this goes. Well, I just you talked know. about it, so there you go. If you find a moment to slide that boner dance in there, you can go ahead and do it. It's I think fun. I just did. Done and done. So yeah, this came toward the end of their run. This was like um, 1986, and they had really sort of started winding down the whole tax credit program by then. It was the same thing the Canadians were doing to build their industry. It was slightly different in that if you went to the Canadian Film Board and said... Hi, my name is David Cronenberg. I have a script I'd like to produce. They would just say, okay, and pretty much literally hand you a paper bag with cash in it. In the Australian case, it was tax credits in the, in the form of a 150% tax credit at some point. And it was just not sustainable. Really, by the time Dead and Driving came around, they were more focusing on, I think, stuff that would make them look good internationally. More, more Crocodile Dundee, much less Dead and Driving kind of stuff. You know much what less turkey shoot stuff. Uh, yeah. Way less turkey shoot. Although I'm like, hey, give us more turkey shoot. Absolutely. Well, you do get some in this movie. I mean, Brian yep. Trenchard Smith directed this and had the genius idea of working in clips from Turkey Shoot and Man from Hong Kong. Yes. Showing at the I was drive wondering in. if you knew, do you know what the other movie is that they show? It's not a Brian Trenchard <sighs> Smith film, but it is Australian. No, those are the only two I recognized. There's the one with the, it's Snapshot, which was also known as the day after Halloween when it released here, bizarrely. Really? It has nothing to do with Halloween whatsoever. But yeah. Oh, well, that's you know, because this it's never the day after. Anybody. Yeah, but it has nothing yeah. to do with... It's total, it's the total day after doesn't have anything to do with It has Halloween. nothing to do with November well, 1st, either. Well, that's the same reason that Saturday the 14th has no connection to the Friday the 13th movies. Not really. No, but the interesting thing about that is there was another production that was going to call itself Saturday the 14th, which would actually have been more apropos, and that was what became Pandemonium. I'd rather have oh. Thursday the 12th. But, yeah, Corman... Pandemonium, the, the Smothers Brothers? Or the one, the one Smother Brother, yeah. yeah. Wait, okay. And Carol Kane, yeah. Judge mm -hmm. Reinhold, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were, I don't know if there was a bidding war involved, but Corman, being the guy that he is, always gets there first, so God bless him. Sure. Yeah. So, Katie, had you seen this movie before watching no, it for this show? But I had heard about it, and it is not at all what I was expecting it to be. What were you expecting? Um, just like a campy, almost like a demons esque movie, like at the theater. Oh. Okay. I did not expect gotcha. like weird dystopian. The Stuff. IMDb, <laughs> the IMDb uh, synopsis for it was really funny because it was like, oh, they go to the movies, and then there's concentration camps at the theater, and it's like. All right. I just, not at all what I was expecting. It's it was fun. Like, I'm not mad that I watched it. So that's a plus. It goes in okay. directions I didn't expect either, which is kind of ironic because the title is exactly the plot. I mean, if oh, you think it, about immensely. it. Like, mm -hmm. they don't short sell it at all. And But the cover, I don't know, you remember, Jason, the old VHS, the yep. New World home video cover. Um, that, I never knew what to expect from that. And it was very new wave punkish kind of vibe to it, which it looked the film like a vampire movie. Yeah, who knew what that. that could have been? 
Yeah. The, oh, so oh, the know? cover is what was on. Okay, I wanted to make sure yeah. I had seen the cover that he's talking the about. The Arrow video cover, it's reversible, but they don't use either side. They don't use that artwork. No, the hmm. Arrow one is the one that I'm mostly familiar with. Like, yeah. like the very neon, like with the cars yeah. and all. Yeah. Was there anything on fire in the cover? Because that's how we know this takes place in a post-apocalyptic world is because everywhere you look, something is going to be on fire. There's a no fire on any of the covers. Car. Really? Or the random Think... spot in front of the ticket booth that was set on fire. Right. Yeah, just that made me just, laugh. Yeah, random <laughs> bits of fire everywhere. Yeah, they? yeah. We know there's still some basic city services available in this version of the future because we have tow trucks and some kind of police presence. It's not like mm -hmm. Mad Max has gotten. So we're not really, it's not really clear where they are on the on the ladder of the But it's still very competitive. Like the whole basis of them fighting over who was going to take the cars away from the scene, I found very interesting because mm -hmm. it's almost like anything is at stake for survival in this, which lends to the dystopian aspect of it. Yeah, definitely feel that. There is still spaghetti in the apocalypse because that's There's what Krabs gets, gets for dinner. And fritters. Right at the beginning of the movie. And fritters. <laughs> Also, that's another thing that made me laugh about the IMDb synopsis is it it really put emphasis on him being healthy, hmm. healthy character and his girlfriend get stuck in the dead end drive in. Yeah, like it really put emphasis on him being a, a healthy person. Hmm. That's odd. Because he ends up being corrupted by it, maybe? I don't know. But I don't even feel like that know. he was corrupted by it, because if you really think about how he, when she's like, why don't we just stay? And he's like, because we're better than this. It kind of gives that duality of he's healthy, eats healthy, worries about himself more. So maybe he is seen as better than these people who eat poorly and don't expect better out of their lives like it, it adds like a whole weird layer onto it yeah he wanted to go back to his jazzercise classes and not stay at the drive-in mm -hmm. but she was okay staying there because to her she didn't have anything outside of it that would make her want to leave like and she had friends there so she wanted to stay we actually have a clip right here it explains her entire argument for staying at the drive-in <laughs> Been. I don't like being out there with them around. Who's them? 50 million Asians out there. <laughs> Why be scared of them? They could rape me or anything. Nah. Yes, they could. <laughs> if you're a man, you do something about it. Listen, they're not the enemy. They're prisoners just like us. Yeah, well, something ought to be done. Yeah? Like what? Well, I don't know. They should limit how many can come here. Huh. You've really been conned, haven't you? Limit the numbers and everything will be great. Jesus, have a look around. This is a slum. Even with only a few people, it'd still be a slum. Well, it doesn't have to be. What? <laughs> you reckon we all sit around playing happy families, do you? Everything in its place? Men down the gents drinking beer. Girls and the ladies getting their hair done. People can't have a life in here. All they can have is a heap of shit movies and a gut full of poisonous hamburger. I'll tell you where bloody life is. Out there. Well, not for people like us. Hey, hey, hey. Come with me. Please. God, Jimmy, can't you see? 
this is all we've got. Well, Natalie M. Curry, everybody, gone too soon. Hmm. Explaining her motivations. I guess to a point she's kind of right. I mean, as far as social services programs goes, I've seen a lot worse than this one. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not so bad. And, <laughs> and the guy, the caretaker, kind of looks out for everyone a little bit. He says so, at least. <laughs> yeah, he says he does that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I couldn't figure out from watching this a few times is it seems like they just accidentally got trapped at the drive-in. Like, I they think I know sent why. There. No, they, they voluntarily the went there, right? And I think that's why there's a huge price difference between regular adult tickets and the unemployed tickets. The unemployed people are who kept are who are kept there, whereas your adult tickets are able to leave and come and go. That's how I took it. Mm. Because why else have that functionality in the film? Yeah, it is it is yeah, odd. Ten dollars admittance for Or three twenty five. <laughs> yeah. There's something there that like isn't explored. Yeah, that's a good point. Exactly, they're not functioning members of society, so they're kept there they're the to not be a burden on out the outside uh, world. Okay. So they just fell into it, and he kind of—he's almost winking when he says "unemployed" to get the admission mm -hmm. into the mm -hmm. theater. Because why else point that out? Yeah. That there's a a ticket price difference. Pretty good. Gotcha. Pretty good. Uh, That's just my theory. That's well, it's the best theory I've heard so far. So it works. Yeah, that's interesting. And they got a nice set of wheels. But let's, well, let's let them in. Well, for one night they will. Until their lovemaking session gets kaput. Where did the front seats mm -hmm. go? Do they just take them out and make it a bed? Like I think they fold down. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In a Bel Air, yeah. I'm not familiar with Bel Airs, except the Fresh Prince. Well, he folds down also. <laughs> so it's okay. And I consider myself folding if I ever watch an episode of that, so... Mm. Oh, dang. Sorry. So we get a little bit of explanation here about why she wants to stay. There's nothing for them in the outside world. Uh, to get a little bit of concern about the truckloads of others that they're bringing into the place. We're really not seen for the rest of the movie, except for one little bit in the bathroom a little later on. Yeah, that came out of nowhere for me. And it's funny bit. because upon rereading the synopsis, they mentioned the racism aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But when they brought the, like brought them in, and then it was just like racism. I was like, where the hell did this came out of left field? To me personally. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like you can have um, a commentary on his character and everyone else being like the haves and the have-nots, but the whole racial aspect of it really just came out of left field for me. It kind of had that feel to it, yeah. Like, they wanted to tack in some something there. and And specifically Asians. Because when they're having their little meeting inside the restaurant, there's a black guy there having the meeting. It's just Asian people. Hmm. It was very odd to me. There's a lot of subtext. So I don't in know if film, maybe though. like yeah. something was going on in the 80s that made that come to light in the film's commentary, or I don't know. It just seemed very ham fisted and very like central to one particular race mm -hmm. but not, you were not say something or? i was just gonna say not hard case and fisted though because that would be carter wong anyway uh, anyway clearly i wasn't gonna say anything <laughs> but i get what she's saying there is a lot of subtext sure. in this film that kind of goes unexplored mm -hmm. a lot of there prevalent and you kind of make what you can out of it there could be a longer cut of this out there somewhere who knows where the other thing that she pointed out about the admission, you know, mm -hmm. but also are we to take it that way? Who knows? 
but it is it is very interesting it does feel like two or three ideas kind of got presented and then forgotten about by the end of the movie but i also kind of dig that because you don't have to spell everything out for everyone you know you Mm kind of either you get it or you don't and you can watch this movie at first glance she's catching all this right like i didn't really notice it the first time i watched it subsequent viewings i have i've noticed oh that's interesting or why is it this way you know and it can be a placeholder for anything as well. Like racism yeah. is prevalent. At any time. Anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it could just be, oh, it's this. We're commenting on that. It just happens to be in this way. Well, really, if anybody is the villain in this movie, if anybody's ruining the whole thing for everyone, it's Jimmy. I mean, everybody was doing perfectly fine till this guy showed up and decided he wanted to escape. It doesn't mean they weren't shitty people, though. And started running over everything they had and setting everything on fire. It's true. He's kind of the fly in the ointment (laughs) because he's resisting this, whereas everybody else is like, well, you know, those other... Yeah. (laughs) We're doing fine. Yeah. (laughs) But that would be, he's the everyman or the every person. I mean, if if you or I were in that situation... Mm -hmm. We'd be like, "What the fuck? Why? You know, why is this happening to us?" We'd we'd freak out as well, or would we? I don't know. Maybe we'd just get into the groove. Who knows? Well, I would have not lied about being unemployed and paid full price for my ticket, so I would have been okay. Not to see Turkey shoot, no. Well, in general. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I bought that movie on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. I would pay full price to see Turkey shoot any day or Escape Two Thousand, whichever one you want to call it. Yeah, sure. especially the uncut version. Because we got some seriously watered down shit when they first released it here. Also, by the way, that was New World Pictures, which picked up Dead End Drive-In. So yeah, they were the U.S. Distri- distributor, I think. Yeah, on that one. Right when Corman had left, it changed hands, and that was one of their first releases. Hmm. I, ha- I have to say, one of my favorite pieces of graffiti is in this movie, and it's in the bathroom scene where it says, <laughs> "Jill does blowjobs." <laughs> does them. So. Does so, them. you know, it's like Debbie good does promotion Dallas. for Jill. Jill does blowjobs. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you think- it rivals the graffiti in Alligator, I think. There's some great graffiti in that. Uh, yeah. What's the graffiti that- in Alligator? Well, because it takes place in the mm-hmm. sewers, and there's, there's a lot of references to the third man. So, mm-hmm. kind of fun in that respect. I did think it interesting that not only are they s- supplied with a constant supply of hamburgers and milkshakes but apparently they get all the spray paint they could ever want to use in their lives just trucked yeah. in they spray paint everything but do you that's think that that's it. intentional to feed in the degradation of them like they're they're almost like keeping them as a stereotype oh sure sure yeah like with the drugs with the, with all of it also that poor dog i bet he was spray painted in real life and it made me sad <laughs> that dog was a professional actor well, I was afraid he was going to die right in the beginning when they were, like, screaming at him and through the fence and, like, throwing oh. torches at him and stuff. And I was like, God, right away. Again, got to set something on fire. And there's blowing newspaper absolutely everywhere. I will say that had I known that this was an Australian film, I probably would have watched it sooner. Because I feel hmm. like a lot of what comes from Australia or even New Zealand, like, they just tend to be good films. Like, this isn't award-winning hitting it out of the park but i had a good time watching it it's fun it's not like i it's just the it's usually a hit instead of a miss they've done their fair share of pretty crappy movies too yeah but is it good crappy 
Well, at least it's interesting. It's from a different perspective, too. And Stunt rock. Like, well, that's Brian Trenchard Smith. <laughs> like, that's what I was going to ask. Is. Katie, is this your first Brian Trenchard Smith film? As far as I know, um, it's also, I think, my first what's considered ozploitation. Okay. So This is kind of the end really? of that wave, in a way. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's still, like, I'm very familiar with the term, but I don't think I had ever seen anything from it. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I'm not seeing, well, I've seen Fury Road Mad Max, but I've never seen the original Mad oh, Maxes. Do yourself a favor, mm. please. Uh, and I'm looking at his. No. So the man death from Hong right Kong now. is no amazing. No death cheaters. Uh, Pimp and Pee Wee. <laughs> yeah, that's the pseudo sequel to Porky's, the fourth Porky's yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, it does not appear that I have seen anything he's done. Well, I don't know if you would like Turkey Shoot. I don't know if that'd be a BMX Bandits. Yeah, that's a great fun movie. Man from Hong Kong, I love that. Which, by the way, I think the last time we talked, well, it was on the Remo Williams episode. We talked about Twilight Time as a company folding. Yeah, okay. and they were closing their doors. They recently have been resuscitated to a sense of that they're releasing a couple titles. One of which is the Man from Hong Kong, and you can order it now. So I don't know if that means they'll be around forever, but that's definitely one I need to get on Blu-ray because I got a shitty bootleg DVD. Now, wasn't that one also released under a different title, the, the Dragon Files or something like that? The Dragon Flies? I think it's the Dragon I think Flies. I like Dragon not... Files better. Yeah, that's kind of... What movie are we talking about? The Man from Hong Kong? Man from that's Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah. I've always known it as Man from Hong Kong, but I know it was released under at least one alternate title well dragon files is a different movie he did oh no the man from hong kong is dragon files it's dragon files okay. flies flies okay jesus I'm sorry. Okay. i can't read <laughs> I was like, that's, like, that's like not a good title right for now. it the dragon files like it sounds like Why the ipress file or some shit i don't know <laughs> which is a great movie but no i i well jigsaw the big hit sky high came from that movie i don't know if you know that oh. soon sky high as in you know that one jason you know that one I do. Sky High, you know then, that song. The, uh, no, it's a song. Never mind. I thought you meant the. I thought you were talking about that kids' movie, Sky High. No, 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 no. And no. I was like, no. <laughs> I rarely talk about that here. movie. Rarely talk about <laughs> like, it. No one's talking about Sky High. No, <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> you know that song. They're blowing it all sky high. I know that song. Oh, okay. Gotcha. This is the segment of the podcast where Nathan they were like sings a one-hit wonder, but the thing people don't remember is it actually was made for that movie, The Man from Hong Kong. Oh, okay. So it's got a, it's kind of like uh, there's other songs that have been successful and people don't like making it. Nobody knows that David Naughton did a TV series called Making It, and that was the theme song for the show. It took mm. on a life of its own, basically. Why are one-hit wonders always deemed a bad thing? I don't know. They're not a bad thing necessarily. It's just one of my favorite songs is a one-hit wonder. I'm too sexy. No. That one? I you like Dreamweaver by Gary Wright. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But his other stuff's good. Yeah. Well, it's that. See, that term is kind of fucked up though, because Gary Wright had a career. It's not like he just yeah. disappeared and mm. you know. But um, certain artists do hit and then they go away. Quit it. Yeah. They hit it and then they quit it. Yep. Especially mm. R. Kelly. Ugh. <laughs> mm. Anyway. Was there much of a soundtrack album for Dead End Drive-In? I don't... 
The score is great. Was. Yeah, it is a great score. I would love to have that. I don't know that there is, actually. I was watching that again last night, and, you know, by the way, that's a good Saturday night movie to watch. That's what I mean. Like, it's yeah. just a fun movie. Yeah. And it feels like that's the time you would be at a drive-in anyway on a Saturday night or something, so. It gave me weird vibes, like, in some way, and stick with me, because I don't know how to make it relate as to why I think of these films, but, like, in the scene where he's sitting at um, the dinner table with Frank and, I'm assuming, his mom and all, it just gave me society vibes. I'm not saying it's anything like it, but it just Mm. made me... And then, like, once they get to the drive-in, and then, like, it almost turns that orangey color like every dystopian movie does, I thought of Night of the Comet. Okay, I could see that parallel. See that. Yeah, it's non-intentional, but it's, yeah, it's Yeah, it's yeah but it's not, and it's yeah. not even, like, related in any way, right. story-wise or anything like that, but it just made me think of that. Yeah. Well, thank God it they made you think of that and not you're the comet. Oh, yeah. No one thinks about that. <laughs> well, they do quite a bit of that, that heavy <laughs> orange-red orange filter on the camera thing Yeah. at the beginning of this. It's, he's jogging around the industrial plant or whatever it is yeah that's right yeah just to emphasize the the point we're in an apocalypse sort of i guess I think- we have certain tells like you said there's always a burning can of trash and a newspaper and then that orange dingy color like and lately neon colors mm-hmm. like that that cyberpunk-esque yeah. it's aesthetic. very 80s it's very mm-hmm. 80s oh yeah yeah especially for brian Tentred smith i think that's probably his most 80s 80s movie you know what i mean aside from maybe bmx bandits but yeah it's it's a cult well all of his films are cult films really and you're you're never in for a bad time with one of his movies even when he does the american films and and i'll mm. say i love night of the demons too you know he I've comes only ever in seen the first he directs one. a sequel and i i almost might be sacrilegious but i almost love it more than the first one in some aspects oh my that makes me want to watch it now. It's just a lot of fun. And uh, Leprechaun 3 and 4, baby. Hell yeah. They're tons of fun, both of them. Do you think that there was a, like, why do you think it was set in 95? If it was made in the 80s? Well, I guess they had to show the future. It's funny that 95 was their future point. Well, it's kind of like Escape from New York is yeah. 1997. Yeah. And that was 1981. Yeah. So a lot of movies were doing that at the time, which is kind of a, I guess it's okay for this movie, but I kind of hate it when they do that with science fiction films. Like, why put a date on it? You know? Well, they also didn't bash you over the head with it on this. No, you could have felt like it was 1985. Like, like the only reason I know it is because of reading the IMDb. My only thing is, is why did they start out the beginning with all of those stats on people dying? Yeah, from like 1988 onward. Yeah. Oh, that's just establishing the scene. Yeah. Oh, is it kind of like the weird radio voiceover in hardware where they're kind of like trying to establish where it's Or Blade Runner, the intro of that, where they just let you know where you're at in that world. Yeah. A whole bunch of bad things happened that caused us in the 90s to continue dressing like it was 1986. And look, they're doing it again in 2021. And the drive-in has come back. That's the joke. The drive-in has come back as a result of uh, everything recently. So They're bringing back stirrup pants. Oh, my God. Hey, they're convenient. <laughs> they stay in your shoes. Jason is first in line. And uh, Rambo takes Russia. It'll throw that in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it Rambo 8, I think, or something like that? Yeah, I think so. 
Everybody got to get a Rambo dig in there somewhere. Yeah, but it was weird because they'd only done two Rambo movies at that point. So who knew? Well, it was meant yeah. to be fake. Yeah. Oh, I know. Are there eight now? How many are there now? Five? There's five. But it's kind of funny because like even in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, you know, Bill Mosley as Chop Top is like, what's that? The Rambo 3 soundtrack? And there hadn't been Rambo 3 yet. Was the trajectory hmm. of those films always to have multiple Sequels? I don't know that there there was. I mean, it's I mean, weird we to now, think about it now, but back then I don't think, aside from like toys, kids marketing was probably the bigger focus versus mm -hmm. franchises. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody said, back to the future, we're going to have a second one. Like, they didn't know. Yeah. You know, like, of course, like it lends itself now, to that. Things come out now and they're like, oh, we're going to have five of them. Now like, it's look at very Avatar deliberate. with James Cameron and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, so I wasn't sure that? if when oh, the yeah. first Rambo came out or even by the second one, they were like, we're planning. Like, I don't know. No, I don't think there was a plan like that for Rambo. No, because certainly. the first film was based on a book by David Morrell and it tells its story and that's it. Mm -hmm. And who knew, speaking of James Cameron, he wrote the treatment for uh, the first sequel to Rambo. So, okay. Then it was called uh, First Blood 2, The Mission, and then Stallone rewrote it, and it became Rambo First Blood Part 2. Oh, I thought 5... What's the newest one called? I thought 5 was First Blood. No, it's Shows Last much Blood. I know. Get it? I've never seen Full a circle. Rambo. Definitely watch the original. I think that's worthwhile. And then stop. <laughs> no, I, I love them all. The fifth one, the least of all, but um, that's the first it was two are the most fun. Year. And the fourth one's fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a jaw dropper. It's a good time. Well, there was no sequel to Dead End Driving, sadly. They wanted could, one, but it just didn't do the numbers. We could find out what happened to Krabs after he his record setting car jump through the neon sign. Yeah, that whole story about his that would have been Krabs is something. But it's interesting that uh, he made a lot of movies that lend themselves to sequels. I think, but he never made sequels to his own movies. He made sequels to other people's movies. It's interesting. Hmm. But I mean, Turkey so Shoot, you could have a franchise from that alone, I think. Oh, yeah. You know. Are Day of the Panther and Strike of the Panther sequels? Are those. Yeah, I guess so then. Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I meant of that ah, era. I meant of that era. It. There was no <laughs> Siege of Firebase Gloria 2. Okay. Yeah. I literally Not just that there that really one. should have been, but, you know. I think it's interesting that we covered two movies today that both deal with racial issues they do in two this, totally this, different ways yeah this one is more them setting up their own society and wanting yeah, it for themselves more so than yeah but i think it's still especially like with um asylum seekers in the uk mm. like it, it really definitely lends itself to stuff that's even going on today mm -hmm. because whether these people were separate or not, the way they're acting is racist. So, well, this like... Is, this has been a problem in Australia for a very long oh, time. Oh, no, and I know Australia's um, racial issues are immense. Like, I was just trying to look it up to see if there was a reason as to why it was depicted mm -hmm. as Asian people and not multiple races of people or anything like that. Well, at the but, time this movie was being made was when the big push for aboriginal rights really got started also. Mm -hmm. This is when Midnight Oil was really big. Do you remember Midnight Oil and mm -hmm. their activism? So it doesn't... I don't know how... If that was a factor in the way Dead and Driving got made, 
I don't think so, but there certainly was a push to kind of tar- start recognizing that this was an issue. Oh, definitely, now, especially maybe, maybe since maybe dead he... and driving wasn't the right vehicle for that, but no pun intended. But it definitely <laughs> it definitely fits because like even when um they're talking to him in the bathroom and they're like, "You're a white person just like us, and you represent us, and you're making us look bad," and blah blah, blah and it's like like collectively white instead of it was just it was very weird oh there we go and we have it in that very thing you're talking about in this clip right here trying to say is stop acting like a turd you're a member of the white community you've got responsibilities now there's a meeting of the white australia committee tonight the easy eating after the midnight movie now you be there eh? at all mind Führer? no need to get smart pal no i think he's got the idea haven't you crabsy it just baffles me because there is a a black man standing front and center at that meeting yeah. And but I'm big just tips. like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to do some graffiti, it, all it said was big tits, not I like I like or that. Yeah, those. no, it, I like the simplicity of it. <laughs> like what the hell? Like giant wanker, you know. You don't have to have You don't got to spell it out. You don't have to have a sentence, you know. This way Maybe you they can ran think out of, of it and no, you write big it. tits and then you can picture the tits that you want. It's versatile for everyone. There you go. You're not just forcing one set of tits on somebody. That's it's, very true. This can be many types of tits. <laughs> I mean, there really it's like is reading no... reading your pornography versus watching your pornography. This way you can think of it and put it into fruition instead of seeing it right there in your face. And you But know. you would want to see it right there in your face. But anyway, besides that, no, I mean, really what Katie's saying here is that this is not truly a dead-end drive-in. There's open possibilities. Big tits. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and Janet does blowjobs. Oh, Jill. Jill. <laughs> oh, sorry. Jill. But we don't sorry. know if she has the big tits. That's the that's another question they don't answer in this movie. That is we true. We know she Who's does the blowjobs. Well, as much as they uh, throw inappropriate commentary on Carmen, I bet they're her tits. <laughs> Maybe. Jill's pretty popular then. But uh, also that one, the main uh, ruffian there, reminds me of Ray Winstone a bit. And I was thinking of the movie, like specifically like from the movie Scum. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant movie. But anyway. It's the hair, isn't it? The way way he's doing that. No, his face facially looks like him. He looks like a mix between 
Ray Winstone from Scum, and also that. Sexy Beast, which is a total, like, 20-plus year period. Thing, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. We got a little, maybe a little oh. Lenny and Squiggy lookalikes going on in there, too. Yeah. Hello! Oh my God, the bit. tall guy looks very familiar to me. <laughs> and very obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've seen anything Australian, a lot of these guys will look familiar oh, yeah. to you, because they are in everything, especially Australian television. It was such a small community of actors and producers and everybody was in everything at some point. I was surprised Steve Beasley wasn't in this. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. She had I mean Peter Whitford, the caretaker of the drive-in, was in yeah. My Brilliant Career, Strictly Ballroom, Moulin Rouge. But mostly with these guys what I found was mostly TV credits. They didn't really get into the movie Films. business really big. Maybe it was too late in the cycle. I don't know. I feel like one is easier to get into than the other. Hmm. You're also looking at a budget here. So maybe that was something worth seeking out. People are mostly closely associated with television. Like I said, the, the tax credits were very, very generous. Uh, 150% tax credit if you used Australian talent. Yeah, predominantly. Now, they've gotten in trouble for sliding the occasional American in there, like Stacey Keach, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Great movie. Things Rogue like games. that. I think even um, Top of the Lake, was it, I think that was the AMC limited series, caught some crap for casting Americans in an Australian production. Hmm. Well, is it like mostly Americans in the lead? Yes. Because that's what I think I is weird about Road Games, is the fact that you have two mm -hmm. American leads. Like one, I could understand. Who just happen across each other in the desert. Yeah, yeah. They all hang out. Yeah, he's just he's a thumb tripping. It was outback. supposed to be a program to create Australian movies to promote Australia to the world. In some cases, for better or worse. I mean, Felicity Turkey Shoot. Uh, yeah, Wake and Fright is a really good uh, travel log. They wanted more picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah, yeah. well, Peter, Peter Weir drive-in necessarily. I just watched that for the first time. Mm, very it's good. interesting. It was really good, and that score is amazing. That's what they were hoping was going to come out of this whole program, not necessarily this. Well, it's definitely... They're fun films, yeah. but they are, they are for a specific audience. <laughs> I'm not even going to say they're Australian, but, like, mm -hmm. you can show... like. It, it all branches into that, oh, this is more art house, this is more this, this is more that. Whereas... Picnic at Hanging Rock might have a wider audience because it's more put together, whereas this one is, like you said, you put it on a Saturday night, you can see yourself mm -hmm. going to the drive-in with friends. You know, it's it's more that type of film. Plus, this movie almost defies categorization. What the fuck? Forget it. Cut. It does. Like, you can't... What, I don't know what, what genre this falls <laughs> into, necessarily. Is it an action movie? Is it a drama? Is it post-nuclear like you know that whole mad what max era yeah. kind of but if anything it's more closely associated with the first mad max which is just happens right. to take place a little bit into the future i don't think you could do anything with australians and cars after mad max and not have it compared to mad max unfairly That's, yeah to be sure right 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 but he was doing this kind of stuff long before mad max mm -hmm. as far as like stunt work and films with cars and all that you know you always have the one that sets the Damn thing in motion, though. It may not even have come before or after it, but if people see that one first, then they always mm -hmm. go, oh, well, this is just a copy of that, even if it isn't. Yeah. 
which is the danger of like I always I didn't want them to make a fourth Mad Max movie because to me that's a perfect trilogy where you have one central character and each film mm-hmm. is completely different from the other film. Whereas Fury Road they becomes get, they this, get increasingly removed from reality the longer the series goes. But on. it does it's it's different. Like, like you can't say that it's on purpose. You can't watch Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome after watching Mad Max and know what the fuck's going on. But then no. But <laughs> you know, Fury Road is just like a greatest hits compilation. It's basically mm-hmm. Road Road Warrior all over again. But it gives it well, brings nothing new. That. Yeah, but it brings nothing new to the table. Whereas I think each film in that franchise, and a lot of people don't love Beyond Thunderdome, and I get that, but it's different mm-hmm. than the other two. You don't see sure. that in a lot of films. Your one central character and Australia are pretty much the linking factors of these films. That's just a little bit like if I was to compare yeah. this to. What if Krabs had escaped the dead end drive-in and accidentally drove into the Thunderdome? Crossover! Ah, ah, aha! Now there's a movie. That could have been the fourth Mad Max. Yes. He would have squashed Krabs. <laughs> I've yeah, never even Krabs seen the Mad yeah. Max movies, but I know that he would have just been like, get out of here. <laughs> no, Krabs is way too high strung to survive a Mad Max movie. Yeah, he would have been gone the first 10 minutes. <laughs> but isn't that Potter. the way sequels yep. go yep. sometimes? Your yeah. survivor from the original? Just enough times so they can go, hey, look, it's that guy from, oh, crap. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? No. Uh, do you think this film bears any influence on anything since then? <laughs> do you see any parallels? In general, just <laughs> hmm. Because he has Not a he has a definite of. style as a director that I think has been copied here and there, but like I can't uh-huh. attribute one film per se. But just wondering what your take on that is. Nothing really jumps out at me. I'm sure I'm forgetting something though. But I don't. I don't think. I don't think Dead End Driving was that copied or. Well, it's certainly difficult to copy because it's not, you can't really define it. It's kind of mm-hmm. a little bit of everything. And it's, it's, it's so funny animal. though, because I feel, sorry, it, I feel like it's always one that's brought up by the horror people I follow. And it's definitely not a horror no. film. Well, that's another thing is you go into it thinking, is this a horror film based off of the title? Even though that, doesn't, cover, that doesn't mean that it's horror. Both covers even are very... <laughs> You you know. Yeah, you don't know what you're getting into. But that's kind of the beauty of it, too, is you just let it ride and you take away whatever you want from it, I guess, you know? I, I definitely feel like by that cover, um, it really made me think it was going to be like Demons. That's really where my mind went, and I think that's why I was kind of like, what? Also, Did, what New is World this? Video. Maybe the drive-in's haunted. I don't know. Well, just that poster, it almost looks like... or like almost like Boys thing? The punk... Or Liquid Sky or something. That's what it kind of reminded me that. of. That the punk crew from like... uh, Return of the Living Dead, even. Like, the guy on the cover really makes you think of them. Yeah. Trash like... in the gang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to try to get something off the shelf, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. Are you going to keep it on the shelf? <laughs> mm-hmm. He just that, dropped it in the floor. Is that a going coconuts reference? Of course. It is now because I just you know, made it one. You know how much I you know how much I love going coconuts references? Obviously. <laughs> I was hoping that might be the eighth movie this season, but Going South, Going Ape. That would be a marathon right there. I think so. We should let Nathan curate 
every <laughs> list for a season. Well, going ape wouldn't count though because it's got the G on the end of it. Shudder to think. But so God only knows what mm. we would be watching if we did this. <clears throat> I hope you guys like Don the Dragon Wilson. It can make some pretty good guesses. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've already covered Jaws 3D, so that won't be on there. Well, I'm waiting for, you know, and I, I don't want to suggest it, but I was like, when is he going to just suggest the whole series be all about PM Entertainment flicks? And then we can talk about Gary Daniels, Cynthia Rothrock, Jeff okay, Wincott. <laughs> really? From his I face, feel like though, he's I'm not going for this. I, I don't know why. <laughs> Cynthia Rothrock might come up tangentially in relation to something else but i'll, I'll do my best i'll try Maybe, to I don't i'll know. try to incorporate the lady dragon as much as possible let's just say i i had considered an episode devoted to jim cotta oh but... well yeah richard norton richard norton's in that 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 one's a little hard to find is it so? you also said that about fritz the cat and i immediately went on prime and watched it fritz the cat wasn't available anywhere when i added it to the list that's what I was talking to her about. I was wondering how she found it, but yeah, she watched it on Prime. You have single-handedly like two weeks ago. Made it watchable. There you go. No, I've made it available for streaming. I did not make it watchable. <laughs> well, that movie. They are two totally different things. That movie has a history no, no, no. of being inaccessible. As as successful as it's been. It's gone yeah. out of print more times and has boot, been bootlegged more times. I remember in the 90s, like a big bootleg market for that and its sequel. Mm. I feel like sometimes those are the films that get hit with that, though. It's like almost like because the more popular the movie it is, they're like, we don't want you to have it. Yeah, but I think a lot of it may have been like music rights with that particular film. Possibly. Oh, it's always like music rights and the... The studio it changes hands so many times. Also, depending on where um, the fact that it's rated what it is, it will not be allowed to be there physically. Maybe. Or also there could be like one controlling interest in the rights that isn't the studio that's holding on. And to nobody it knows who it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And they're <laughs> unaware that it's being, you know, championed as something that people want on the like uh, Another movie that's totally unrelated, but you think about a movie that was obscure and you couldn't get forever and it was heavily bootlegged was Rad. And now Vinegar Syndrome's oh, put yeah. it out. And I think a lot of it had to do with its soundtrack. I was at Movie Trading Company the other day and I hear the uh, Good Times VHS logo from the 80s going at the beginning of the store. And then I hear the World Vision, you know, that thing. And then I hear mm -hmm. rock and roll all night and they're playing Kiss Me's the Phantom of the Park. <laughs> and so I go up there and I go, I heard you guys were playing some Kiss Me's the Phantom of the Park. And he's like, oh, yeah, we bought these bootleg copies of Rad from this distributor and they pressed the wrong disc. They put Kiss Me's the Phantom. No. They recorded oh, wow. the wrong movie and the artwork says Rad, but it's actually kiss me it's the phantom because some some guy bought the dvd and returned it that's how they found out so they had to open up all their <laughs> copies i go well you need to quit selling those anyway because it's legitimately available you could get it through vinegar syndrome yeah mm -hmm. and who wants an inferior dvd of that when you can get the blu-ray so <laughs> but yeah i got excited hearing that i was like ah nice so i think we can close this one out uh you think <laughs> some, somehow somehow uh, I don't even remember where we left off. On, um... Just the influence of the film, basically. If it has any. If it has any? I don't Mad know. Max. 
Dead End Drive-In? You said his style may have, but not necessarily. That particular film. It makes a really perfect bookend for a long stretch of just completely bonkers Australian movies getting made. Yeah. You said that this one was towards the end of that, right? Nah, pretty much, yeah. I'd throw Dark Age in there, too. I don't know if you ever saw Dark Age, the crocodile movie. No, I don't think I'd have, no. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. But yeah, that's kind of like, that was probably like 86, I think. But if you want to go back and watch some of the earlier Australian stuff and then compare it to Dead End Drive-In and see sort of a progression of... Or Young Einstein. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Hmm. There is that one, yeah. It is a movie. You got that right. Yeah. I saw that in the theater, man. I'm so sorry. It was fun. Yahoo Serious. Wasn't it? Wasn't that him? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. He did Mr. Accident, and what was the other one he did? Uh, Something Kelly? No? I lost track of him, honestly. I don't know how it happened, but I, I, I forgot what happened to the guy. But if we ever think of what that was, we might mention it here on the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour. And with that, we'll draw this episode to a close. Thank you all for listening. Go watch Dead End Drive-In immediately. Later. See you next time. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Well, once again, another show has drawn to a close. Thank you so much for listening. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com or drop us a message on Instagram. Enjoy the rest of your day. This has been a Ghostcraft presentation.